Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. I am Bo. He is Johnny. We've got a spring game. We've got the season premiere of Thrones. We've got the Jackets of the Stanley Cup playoffs making lots of noise. Uh, so lots, lots, lots to get to on the program tonight. But let's start. This is, after all, a, a podcast uh, called the 11 Warriors Dubcast, and this is about football primarily. So let's start there, my friend. And let's start <laughs> with the spring game. Uh, I think you and I could both do an hour on Game of Thrones. We'll start with the spring game. Um, I On Thursday of last week, I think it was Thursday of last week, Ryan Day had an availability, and he went on Carpenter and Rothman right after James and, and my show and said that the spring game was going to be thud, uh, that it wasn't going to be tackle. How much do you think that that – took some of the juice out of the game before we get into some of the specifics, because my James and I's contention was don't say that out loud. Just have it be that once you get there. <laughs> In other words, just kind of like keep it low key. And exactly. You know, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, you know, it's, I feel like now, and honestly the way spring games should be done in general is that's, that's probably the way to go. You don't want to have a guy getting injured in an exhibition, but um yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think it really took away too much. I was a little surprised that it wasn't as packed as I would have expected. I mean, I know they had a lot, you know, cleared off because they're doing renovations and whatnot. But, you know, being as nice as it was on Saturday, I, I thought the shoe would be a lot more packed than it, than it was. So I'm not really sure. I mean, do you think, am I blowing this out of proportion? Or do you believe that maybe the, the crowd wasn't as big or as, as pumped up as we might have thought it would have been? The crowd was the smallest that I can remember for a spring yeah, game. Right. I mean, they could only sell 76,000 because C deck was closed. Um, but that's still, I mean, I, we, I mean, I remember spring games well over, over a hundred. There were a lot that were in the nineties. We were constantly breaking the record for largest spring game. And I think we had the third largest attendance in the big 10. Um, so that's that hasn't happened in my time in Columbus, where there were there were others in the big 10 that were bigger than us. Um, and I think, you know, 15,000, not, being there kind of yeah i mean i think it's a little alarming i think thud has something to do with it i think um kind of the the realization uh that urban is not not the coach i mean i know everyone <laughs> is for ryan and i like i mean we all like ryan right yeah but he's not a rock star he's not he's not urban not yet he's got to work his way into that and i think you know that's part of it too um and maybe the other thing is while all of us diehards and people who do this for a living are well aware of Justin Fields, maybe the casual fan is not right. and and doesn't know him and doesn't have any appreciation for what is trying to be done here. And maybe some of the juice is just out of it. That's why I asked the question about the thud, because I thought the attendance was shocking. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think a lot of it is just name recognition. I think it's a big where everybody, you know, if you have a guy in Justin Fields who comes out and lights it up in 2019, 2020 spring game is going to be huge, right? Because people are going to want to see what happens. Yeah. They're going to see this guy that they recognize and whatnot. But I think right now it's just, it's, it's name recognition. It's, it, there isn't the, the rock star coaching staff that you would have with Urban Meyer and all these other guys that everybody, you know, locks in. And, and what's crazy to me, what's, I think there is a little bit of a disconnect between the, uh, the guys who like write and report on the team and the people who maybe follow it as fans, because, I know that here at 11 Warriors, we are like super geeked about some of the guys on the coaching staff, like just super, um, like Jeff Halfley, like people, we love that dude because of how effusive yeah. he is and how interesting he is and intelligent, you know, people love talking to Ryan Day. I just don't know that the average fan has gotten uh, that kind of connection yet. And because of that, maybe that's why you saw a little bit of, you know, like a slightly lower, and, and to be clear. Over 60,000 people showed up to a spring game. This isn't like, you Absolutely. know, nobody's coming that's to the not, game. Right, you know, but that's, that's like, not what we are. I mean, that's yeah. not what Ohio State is. Like, we always pump our chest out and say, you know, we have the biggest crowd and we raise the most money and all of these things. Sure. We do it bigger and better than everybody. And you got a good day and it didn't translate uh, to crowd. So, um, yeah, I think the kind of the realization sets in um, – and again, like, you know, Ryan called into our show two weeks ago, just out of the blue. And and I we all like him. Like, we're all rooting for him. But you went from you're trying to replace a guy who is 1A on the list of best coaches of the last 30 years. Um, right. And he replaced a guy who's in the top eight of the best coaches of the last 30 years. So 
that you know you just always got a better coach and a bigger rock star from Coop straight through. And now this is the first time where there's unknown. And I think for the casual fan, while they like the offense and all of that, you know, Ryan's just he's not a rock star the way Urban is. Like people would want to just hear Urban talk. Yeah. You know, like him on a microphone. People just like hearing him talk. Um, Ryan doesn't have that yet. There's no mystique of that. And I, I think that that came through a little bit with the spring game. Um, other than the attendance, the look and feel of it, you know, one thing we talked about last week was uh, what does the Ryan Day Ohio State program look like? Right. And to me, it looked exactly like the Urban Meyer Ohio State program, <laughs> save for Urban Meyer not being there. It was just like yeah. he was on hiatus or something. Um, it's it's very much had the same feel of an of an Urban Meyer spring game. There wasn't much difference from that I could tell from from Urban to to Ryan in that sense, nor would they be because all of Urban's support guys are with Ryan. Thank God. They're the best guys in the business. Um, so the, 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 I think this will be something to monitor as the year goes along. And as Ryan day's time goes along, can he separate his Ohio state program from the urban Meyer, Ohio state program and, and kind of have a clean identity. Um, and that might not happen till urban's coaching somewhere else, to be frank. Well, it, so what's interesting to me is like the way college football works in general is that it's, it's so like, I don't know what the right word would be, but it's that, you know, people, it's really incestuous. People take from other concepts from other coaches. They work with other coaches. They're mentored by a lot of the same guys and the same concepts. And they all kind of talk with each other and interchange ideas and, you know, schemes and things like that. One of the things that uh, Kyle on our site wrote about was the idea that like the zone reads back. Right. So this, I mean, that's, that's an element that Ohio State fans recognize and have a lot of familiarity with because they saw it under Urban Meyer. And so I don't know that you're necessarily going to see huge, huge changes in terms of what the team does offensively, maybe defensively a little bit more. But it just I guess it's hard to define exactly what would make a Ryan Day team look significantly different on the field of play at least than an Urban Meyer team because Ryan Day was selected by Urban Meyer because of their you know ability to mesh their concepts so I, I you know I, I think a lot of it is the stuff that we see um you know the the window dressing the the stuff that we see that's like, what it is it's the interaction dressing. with the media and all that kind of stuff yeah and it's the little traditions and stuff that Urban brought yeah. you know I mean that were different from Jim I mean those type those little things the way that they you know, break down the way that they would uh, they do that thing where they tap all the shoulder pads before they go like quick cows, right. like they do all that or trust didn't do that. Um, you know, so there's little things that Urban did, like, will Ryan change any of that or we'll leave it all the way that Urban did it. My guess is he'll leave it the way Urban did it because Pantone's still there and he's the ambassador of cool. And I think <laughs> yeah. he's got his hands all over all of that stuff. So I, well, I think he'll probably too, right? the like, same. Yeah. Yeah. Marotti will be the same. Sure. Yeah. With quick, quick cows, that's all Marathi's thing. So I think, I think that a lot of that stuff will remain the same. Um, and then it's just a matter of, can you win doing that? And they're Ohio state spending very big that he can. I think it's a very good bet. Let's talk about what we saw on the field. Yeah. You mentioned the zone read that um, to me, the biggest takeaway I had from the game, because it was so hard. You really couldn't, you really couldn't make any sort of judgment call, like on the depth chart behind JK Dobbins at running back, because when you're just going thud, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to know who can make plays and who can't. And the same oh, thing sure, at linebacker, yeah. where there's like real competition at linebacker and a lot of depth, and, and people are gonna have to play and not play. And you were you got nothing in the spring game on that front. I mean, it was just with thud, you just really couldn't tell anything. Um, I thought the I thought it set into me in the game Saturday that we, the realization that we're replacing four out of five on the offensive line. I mean, I think that. Yeah kind of sets in you go wow that's going to be pretty big which gets us to zone read and gets us to justin fields when i got done watching the spring game i came away thinking to myself that ohio state in 2019 is going to look a lot like ohio state in 2013 mm, yeah. 2013 ohio state is braxton miller's uh sophomore year <clears throat> yep or, yeah sophomore year they no, is it no, it's his junior year. It's his junior, junior year. Yeah. Junior year. Yeah. I forget about the lost fickle year. So it's the junior, it's Braxton Miller's junior year. It's the year they're undefeated the entire year until Michigan State. 
it is the year that they are dynamic with Braxton and Carlos. And I'm not suggesting that Justin Fields is the athlete that Braxton Miller is. I don't think he is. And I don't think that J.K. Dobbins is the power runner, certainly, that, that Carlos Hyde was. I mean, that's a six-year NFL vet. Um, but I think the offense will go that way because what does all every coach want more than anything else? And that is to win. And I think the surest way this team can win is read option, zone read, counters, and deep throws to those young receivers as they mature. We'll get to Wilson in a second in the way that he shined and apparently the way he shined all spring. But um, <laughs> yeah. I was left thinking that that what you're going to see is a lot of Justin Fields running the football in 2019. Yeah, and especially attacking the the, the edges of the field. I, I think you're going to see a lot of outside-inside stuff. And, and that was, you know, to your point in 2013, I mean, with Carlos Hyde, you've got this battering ram who can just get you, you know, between five and six yards on almost every play. And the threat of Braxton Miller being able to just burst an 80-yard touchdown run was just terrifying the defense. So I, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of stuff where they're going to try to attack the edges with the speed and then try to get the stuff going up through the middle. I, I don't think you're going to see the kind of JT Barrett, you know, like quarterback dives and stuff like that. No, uh-uh. uh, no. because they, because Justin feels just way too athletic for that. So again, I agree with you. I don't know that he's a Braxton Miller type, but I think that's the type of offense that you're going to see just because of the players that they have. And, you know, and, and Justin Fields capability to really stretch the field. I I'm really excited about that, by the way, I think that'll be a oh, lot of fun team. to watch. And I think that maximizes the potential of the guys that they have, particularly at wide receiver. I, I loved that team. Um, yeah. It was just a shame the way that that all ended that year. Um, but I love that team and I would love to have seen him play Florida state for the national championship. Um, I would have loved it. And, um, it's, it's just, it sucks what happened. Um, and I I think on fields, I saw a kid who, um, I know I just used the Braxton 2013, but that was more about the offense. He really reminded me a little bit more like prior, um, the way he was so deliberate and kind of like a loper. It seems like, like I never saw him really burst. He just kind of has long strides and kind of just lopes. Um, He doesn't – I don't think he's got like that Braxton – I mean, few do. I don't know any running back, any quarterbacks who did other than Braxton who had that type of burst. Um, But his – to me, he's got a little bit more – he looks kind of more like Pryor. Um, And I mean that as a compliment. Terrell Pryor was a phenomenal college player who, had he played an urban system, would have won a Heisman. Um, But to me, that's what he seemed a little bit more, really a long strider, a little more deliberate. Um, I didn't see like a, a rock and fire thrower. I saw more of a deliberate thrower and it's important to remember he's a freshman, right? Right. Like, he's not <laughs> Dwayne Haskins in his third year on campus. By the time he starts, he's been on campus since December. He's a true freshman in every sense of the word. And so, um, you know, have patience with all of that and he'll get better as it goes. But to me, he very much looked like a kid who's was thrown in the water in his doggy paddling. Right. Yeah, no, I, yeah, it, it it's, there's a process to it. What I said last week is that you expect a guy, you know, you're not going to expect him to come in and look like a, a Dwayne Haskins. Like you, there is a, there's an entire thing that you have to deal with uh, when it comes to learning the the scheme, learning all the different protections, trying to figure out exactly, you know, how you're going to best utilize, I don't know, whatever coverage is, you know, whatever reads you want based on the coverage, things like that. It just, there is so much to absorb. And especially when you're coming into a new environment, he's not going to be a finished product right away. And I'm fine with that. I'm 100% fine with that. So, yeah, I just, you know, that's that's the thing that I want Ohio State fans to understand just because he was, what, I think, like it's 4 hard. for 13 uh, <laughs> during the, you know, during the spring game does not mean that that's what he's going to look like in September or, you know, October. Yeah. Like Us pe- preaching patience to Ohio State football fans is as silly as can be. Um, right. You know, it's <laughs> just true. not. It's, it's just not something that they're going to be like. They will demand that he is great right away. Um, and I'll tell you, if he does falters, the one thing I did come away with was that there's a lot of faith in Matt Baldwin to play. Yeah. Um, and I think Baldwin would have beat out Martell if it was just the two of them. Um, yep. So I think he made some throws. The throw uh, to Wilson was special, but Wilson's a monster. So they, they've, <laughs> got, a, they've got a lot of young dudes who are going to get their sea legs as this season goes as the season goes along but I just come back to in the beginning it's just going to be how do we win games and it's going to be right. Justin Fields and JK Dobbins running I just think that's right. the way it's going to be early on Yeah Garrett Wilson I mean the the guy I mean 
you see the talent, obviously. I mean, it's it's raw, but it's there, and he's every bit uh, what he was rated as as uh, as a recruit. Yeah. And it's it's just that is one of those things where if you want to have like if right, okay, let me put it this way: if Ryan Day wants to come in and say, "All right, this is my team," that's the kind of guy. Garrett Wilson is the kind of guy that you put into a spotlight and say, "This is Ryan Day's." player right you say this is the this is the guy who we are going to kind of promote as ryan day's like you know guy that has made his program really good because to me look urban meyer greatly not just the fact that he's a great coach but he greatly benefited from the fact that he came into a situation at ohio state where he had players that were like immediately marketable and like say okay this is urban meyer's team and now you've got braxton miller and all these other dudes well Ryan Day needs a couple guys like that. Justin Fields is obviously one of them. Garrett Wilson's 100% right there behind him. Because I think that's – that. if you want to showcase what Ohio State is under Ryan Day, that's those are the two dudes to do it from. Yeah, you make a break – you bring up a great point, and it's something that um, – I go back to Urban Meyer's introductory press conference um, and him saying that t- – talking about Braxton, that you yeah. have a special quarterback. Like, the, you, he knew – and that's why I, you will, folks, on this, on any platform I have, you will hear me spread the virtue and praise Braxton Miller because he makes it all possible. Yep. He allows for everything that follows, how great he was those first two years. The fact that, you know, they didn't lose, Urban didn't lose until the Big Ten championship game. That's crazy. Um, and, and that was because of Braxton. I don't know anybody who more was, more was expected of or delivered more than him. Uh, those first two years of 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 Urban, and I think Fields will have to. I'm not saying he has to be Braxton because I think that's a lot to ask, but I think he can be. Um, I think he can be a lot of that, and I think that's what you'll see. I don't think you're going to see. I mean, I know you're not going to see the offense you saw last year, and you're not going to see the JT offense either. That's why I go back to 13 is kind of what you're going to see. You know, coming out of this thing. Beyond that, there there wasn't much else that I could glean from could you take anything else from it because of <laughs> because of the way it was played there wasn't it was hard to make a sense I mean some the, some of the interceptions are nice Jalen Gill looks like he's gonna be great but like because the way the game was played it was hard for me to to take much else from it other than in from a position player standpoint Wilson was looked spectacular yeah uh Drew Christman got uh engaged that was pretty he cool. did yeah which <laughs> boy that you I'm always hesitant when I hear 23 year olds getting engaged. I mean, that's sure. Tough, yeah. That's a really tough go of it, but uh, I wish him all the best. I thought that was a, you know, it's a pretty cool way to do it. Certainly. Hell yeah, man. Um, I mean, in front of yeah. tens of thousands of people, that's, that's a hell of a risk, but I mean, good on him. That was awesome. Yeah. We had a, it was a unique situation because you had, um, you know, obviously I host the radio show in Columbus, uh, Bishop and Laurinaitis on the fan. And um, we looked at the show today, did the show on Monday. And typically, the Monday following a spring game, you do two hours of Ohio State football. Right, That's what you yep. do. It's Columbus, Ohio. And over the weekend, we had two Blue Jackets wins God. over the best team the NHL has produced in 20-some years. Right. You had Tiger Woods winning the Masters for the first <laughs> time in 14 years in his first major in 11 and now that whole thought of can he pass Jack, you have to kind of maybe reconsider, sure. um, because we all thought that if he get, that the one to get with the, would be the hardest would be the first one, and so he got that one, and you think, boy, maybe Jack's back in play. So that's a you know a, a Buckeye, obviously. That so you have that, and then you have thrown. So there was so much going on from a sports perspective in Columbus, and I wonder if that contributed to the low attendance in the spring game. If it was there was just so much stuff going on. And people's attention was kind of elsewhere. I think that's part of it. I think that's definitely part of it. Because it was, like you mentioned, it was huge. It was a huge, huge weekend for sports and including in central Ohio. And yeah, I, I mean, honestly, like I'll be honest, you know, we, we talked about this last week, but it's it's pretty easy to have your attention divided when you have so much going on. And I was I was locked in on the jackets until nine o'clock on Sunday evening. So you know, so I asked, again, I was curious. Obviously, I watch the spring game, but you know, it's it's there's so yeah. much you can only juggle so many things. Yeah, yeah, you could. And I, that, I asked you that last week when it came nine o'clock. What would you be doing if the jackets were in it? Now the circumstance. So at nine o'clock, the Blue Jackets, which have, are doing something that no one thought possible, um, they are they are <laughs> no. they were down. For those of you out of market, just to give an idea of what's going on in Columbus, the Blue Jackets were down three to nothing in the first period 
of game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs against Tampa Bay, who this Tampa Bay team, in, in the eyes of many, is the most talented NHL team ever assembled in the Stanley Cup era. Um, so that simply put, you're paying, you're playing the Golden State Warriors of, of the NHL, except they haven't won anything yet. So that's basically the setup to who you're playing. There was no shot of Columbus winning the series. I mean, maybe right. maybe a game. So they're down three nothing in game one. You think, well, here we go. You're going to get just completely annihilated again. Here we go. And then they flip it. And they flipped it because Sergei Bobrovsky, who's a two-time Vesna winning goalie, started to play like a two-time Vesna winning goalie. And everybody else, I think, was buoyed by that. And they went, oh, we got Vesna Bob. Okay, <laughs> let's go. Let's go. And so they've won three straight games, uh, including Sunday night. And the the television on Sunday was crazy because you had the Masters in the morning, then you had a break, then you had Jackets of Seven and, and Thrones at Nine. And I'd asked you last week if it came to that and it was, you know, a tight situation, what would you do? And I think you said that you would watch Thrones. And indeed, that's what you ended up doing, correct? Well, that is correct. I also laughed at you because I was like, there's no way in hell that's ever going to matter. So, <laughs> and, what, and look, that's I, right. when they were down 3 0 in that first period, I, I turned the game off. I was like, nah, I'm not watching this. I'm not having my heart. You're not like, alone. No. And, it, it, and I'm, you know, it's, it is absurd what the Jackets have been able to do, not just because of all the things that you mentioned with the Tampa Bay Lightning being so incredibly talented, but that second game, they destroyed Tampa Bay. It was not even close. Like that, they were yeah. completely outclassing the best, you know, team in, in the NHL in years. Uh, and then on Sunday, you know, Sunday was kind of a, a fight a little bit towards the towards the middle of the game, but for most of the mm-hmm. game, they again looked really, Better really team. good. So you know, I I dutifully turned on game of thrones at nine o'clock but i will also admit to you know during some of the more of the slower scenes in the premiere checking my uh, phone to see what the score was towards the end and then of course once game of thrones was over i switched back and, and saw the post game stuff but um yeah game of thrones had to take precedence it wasn't it wasn't game four so you know right gonna, <laughs> i did the same i i didn't check though i turned everything off because i knew it would get ruined so i at nine o'clock i dvr'd the the rest of the Jackets game and then watch Thrones live. And then when it was over, I finished up. Um, I finished up Blue Jackets when it was over. But this this Blue Jacket thing is a it's just an amazing thing to see. And Crazy. it was I think you, in a way you have to go back to and this is more of a Columbus than an Ohio State topic. But I think it goes back to when the McConnell family and the race to give Columbus something of their own. Yeah. Um, we you know, o- Ohio State owns Columbus, no doubt. Um, but. Oh, Columbus has to share Ohio State with the state and with with everybody in the country that are Buckeye fans. And it's probably the largest alumni base. Is it? I mean, you'd know. Is it the largest alumni base in the country? It's got to be close. Uh, it's close to it. I don't think it's the largest alumni base, but I think it's like in the top three or five. Yeah. So it's it's big. And and you have to share the Buckeyes. So Columbus needed something of their own. And that's how the crew came about. And later, that's how the Blue Jackets came about and the McConnell family was pretty adamant that they were not the Ohio Blue Jackets, that they were the Columbus Blue Jackets, that they were right. going to be Columbus's team of record. And and the city has waited a very long time for them to have success, 20 years. And, um, and they still haven't won a playoff series, but they've now won three games. They have never previously done that in a playoff series. They've won three straight games, which obviously they've never previously done in a playoff series. They won a game three for the first time in their history. So there's a lot of things they're doing that hadn't been done, and they're doing it against almost a too big to fail opponent <laughs> so it's a, a really remarkable story that's that transcends even uh columbus i mean it was on pti today and those guys don't delve into nhl um and, but that that's what's happened and and it has really captured the enthusiasm and one thing it, as you know people from columbus columbusites or whatever you want to say it one thing one thing that we do is is we we're we're good at puffing our chest out when it's time and so you know we're not gonna be i have a feeling we'll be pretty uh pretty chesty if if we can pull this off and and win on tuesday night i i mean it is remarkable in part because they are obviously just like housing this this incredibly good team but i think it's remarkable because columbus blue jackets have always been relegated to like your your B team, right? Like it's good if they win, but like you know they're not my. I'm I don't know as many diehard Columbus Blue Jackets fans as I know diehard any other sport in Columbus. Like even even the crew. Like I know more people who are like diehard crew fans who talk about it and crow about it and go into the Nordic and all that stuff, which is great. Like I'm not taking away from that, 
But I agree. I with you love the idea that somebody who was at, you know, the Blue Jackets game on Sunday, you know, became a fan for life, right? Like a kid down there who was seeing all this going on was like, this is my team now. And this is like, I'm ride or die until the day I die. Like, I just, I think that's cool. And you sometimes need as a franchise a moment like this to really, I think, entrench yourself culturally in an area. And this is, I think this is that moment. People talk about, and again, they haven't even won the first series yet, but people and down in Cincinnati talk about, you know, like the big red machine and Pete Rose and Johnny Bench and, and all these other guys, um, you know, because that was the thing that formed their, their fandom when they were kids. And I think this is one of those moments for people and who, who like hockey in central Ohio or even interested in the blue jackets at all. I think that might be one of those moments because this is a big deal in terms of sports. I mean, the, the, the Tampa Bay lightning are really good and this is, this is really unprecedented. Yeah. And it's, it's been a long time coming. Yeah. You know, it is. I mean, it's kind of very, yes, very it long. It has been a very long time coming and it's been, you know, you got to remember like when the jackets were founded, I think there was only one sheet of ice in Columbus. So they've had to build a hockey market from scratch. Yep. Uh, it was a very, you know, incredibly awesome experience to try to build something like this and, and hope that it took and it, and it has, and, and now they'll have this moment that'll last. And it, what one thing we know is the city's plenty big enough to handle all of it. And uh, to give you some perspective, I cannot recall, you know, when I was at channel 10 and you know, you just, okay, what's the lead? Like the Ohio state spring game always leads. Oh, sure. but I don't think it did this weekend. Not with jackets. Should, not with what I they're doubt doing. it. Yeah. Um, and not with that spring game, the way that that one was. So, uh, it was, it's been great to see. And, and, you know, you can't, you can't root for them big enough and hope they pull this thing off and maybe even win another round. It'd be awesome. Uh, be sure to visit 11 warriors, dry goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more dry goods at 11 warriors.com. Also don't forget to follow the 11 dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, before we get to the Thrones breakdown, uh, which we are eagerly, uh, awaiting, <laughs> let's, uh, let's do some, uh, let's do some ask us anything's my friend. What do you have for us? All right, so if you want to ask us anything, please keep sending in these questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. This is from our good friend Alvin. He just wants to know, what are our thoughts on the Disney live animated live-action remakes? Um, I, I would say never, ever underestimate Disney's ability to find ways to make money. And the fact <laughs> that they, they're so brilliant, like this they're Disney geniuses. streaming thing. Oh my God, this Disney streaming thing that's coming is going to be a behemoth. But oh my God, it's brilliant yeah. that they see the hard thing for, for the last, I don't know, it seems like 15, 10, 15 years in Hollywood is an original idea that it maybe it's just nobody has, maybe no one has the brain power or it's too hard. I don't know what it is, but there's really very few. A lot of people don't want to take a, a financial probably. risk. Stuff. Don't want to take a financial risk. It could be, but there's very few original con original ideas in Hollywood in the last 10, 15 years since the superhero stuff took over and all of that. Um, so what did Disney do? They go, well, hell, we got the best stories in the history of, of entertainment. And now we have the technology that we can live action them. That's right. Why not? <laughs> Let's do it. I mean, the tech, I mean, I, we, I love my favorite Disney movie of all time is the original jungle book. Like it's, I love Great it. Movie. I just love it. The cartoon's spectacular, but they crushed the live action one too. I, I like the cartoon it. better, but the live action is great. And the Lion King one, they're gonna slay it. I mean, it'll just yep. absolutely slay it. I want to tell you something, man. I I was skeptical about the Jungle Book, and I didn't even see it in the theaters. Like I didn't see it until uh, it was on Netflix, and I was I was like, this is great. Like this is actually great. legitimately great. Like I I love the hell out of this, and yeah. I you know. When I, was, when I was a kid, I was not a huge fan of, like, the Disney animated movies. Like, I'd go see them when they came out because they were event movies. I mean, these, especially, like, The Lion King and Aladdin. I mean, these are, yeah. you know, the pinnacle of, of 2D animation. And when you're a little kid, you, have, you know, of course, you're going to go see them. Uh, but I wasn't, like, in love with it. And so I think some people who, you know, they, they're like, okay, well, I don't want another one of these. So that kind of ruins my childhood memory. But honestly, if they're as well done as some of these other ones have been, then, I, I mean, shoot. there's a Here's the thing. Here's what I think is interesting is that Disney actually already did this before. They did this in the 1990s. And instead of like having a live action version, they just made sequels, right? There was like yeah. Mulan 2 and, and Aladdin 2 and 3 and things like that. Because those were also ways for them to kind of, you know, get blood from the stone. And it's it's really interesting because you have these 
uh, same concepts, really, where you're just kind of taking yeah. the same story and showing a different way. Except now they're throwing hundreds of millions of dollars behind it because they know they're going to get multiples of hundreds of millions of dollars in profit on the return end. So it's just they're kind of scaling it up. But again, because the technology has gotten so much better and because, you know, they're actually, I think, putting in a lot more effort into it, frankly, that they're they're getting this huge return and now disney of course has is got this fox merger going on so you've got all kinds of different properties that you're going to see this from oh my gosh yeah they're yeah i if, i hope you bought disney stock it's gonna, <laughs> yeah, the, the streaming Christ. service is going to go through the roof yep yeah and with all the marvel stuff they're adding into that i know they're they yeah. announced that they're going to have all these like different uh tv yeah, shows Star Wars too. yeah star geez, oh my gosh it's it's crazy they have star wars marvel plus their own catalog yeah yeah it's, ESPN it's and all the sports i mean they got everything mean, they're loaded yeah it is there i think there is legitimate i think there is a legitimate discussion to be made about monopolies and their control over the market but i also believe that because they're making so much money like just hand over fist it, it's hard for i think it's a lot of times it's very hard for america to, to stop a company that is being that successful and say you you control too much of the market it, it, it's just yeah and especially when you've got so many properties that are beloved as, as disney has like you just don't want to stop that and so i it'll be very interesting to see what the movie market looks like in the coming years because of how big a bit of a behemoth disney has become um you know i and i like the idea i still like the idea of a hollywood that can produce interesting you know like auteurs who can even come up with new and weird ideas like you know like with jordan peele for instance like us and, the, and all that stuff like that's that's awesome like that's really really great yeah. i think we need and more Tarantino of that you're not gonna that. get as there's much a, of it with disney yeah. dominating the landscape no there's a few of those guys out there that can do these things and and keep it fresh but you know there there aren't as many as there were they're not doing those that many no. of those type of movies anymore Right, exactly. And I, I think that's kind of a shame. I, you know, again, I love these remakes. I think they're really cool for the most part. Everyone I've seen has been pretty interesting, but, uh, you know, it, I don't know what it says overall about the overall, you know, landscape for movies and, and entertainment in general. Um, this, so the next question here is actually kind of along the same lines. This is from Suncard. Uh, <laughs> he, he says, I hope we enjoyed the spring game. Here's his question. I'm binging the Harry Potter series on audiobook. I don't have much time for TV, but I have time to listen. The Game of Thrones series is roughly 200 hours on audio. <laughs> Do you think it's worth the challenge? Uh, he and he said he's never seen the show. So, <laughs> well, I, you know, you've read the book. I've only right. seen the shows. Um, I don't. I would. I would probably try to do one of those. Um, the audiobooks? I would probably. No, I would probably do the reading, read it or watch it. I would probably okay. not do the audiobooks. Yeah. Um I would I would try to carve out time to watch it. Um probably is what I would do cuz at least the one thing you know for a fact with watching it is you're going to get a complete story. Um I don't know if you'll ever get that with the books. I I plan no. on going back and reading the books when my kids get older. Um but I I I acknowledge that in doing so I'm not going to get the complete story where you will get the complete story with the show. I mean, I think it's it's kind of simple math at this point. I mean, <laughs> yeah, how many? Not enough. So, how many hours is the show total? Right, like seventy-ish around there. Yeah, yeah. So 75, 80, maybe eight hours, like eighty hours total. Like the audio books, you're on. You know, you're not even done with the series. You've got at least two more books to go, and it's over two hundred hours. I would not invest the time. If you're thinking about reading them, go for it. They're they're really great books. They're really interesting and well written. I don't know that I would do 200 hours of the audiobooks. I think no. cool. the other thing is the, the problem with the books is that you really do have to have a uh, a very a very good eye for detail when you're reading, and so that requires you to go back sometimes and reread things. And with audiobooks, I just feel like there's be so much that would get lost, you know, just because you don't listen to every single word as you're doing the yeah. audiobook. You know, it, so yeah. I I think too much would be lost. Either read them or watch them, but otherwise I wouldn't do the audio. I don't think that's worth it. Cosine. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and that's Ask Us Anything. Please continue sending those in, and uh, we'll continue answering them. All right. Now uh, is the part of the show where you and I are going to break down the Game of Thrones episode from the previous day. We will do this yes. for six weeks as Thrones is airing its final season. I have watched the show from the beginning in real time. I've binge watched it straight through, uh, I think, 
at least two or three times. Um, yeah. But you have read all of the books, and right. and so you always had this this advantage up until uh, until the show passed the books. But I still think you your your total knowledge of it as a book reader. Anytime I talk to a book reader, their total knowledge of the world is so much. Uh, so superior to mine that's it's just not even close because of all the little details. So we had our season eight premiere on uh, Monday. Um, let's let's go through a cup. This very much to me was a a almost it felt exactly like season one episode one. There were so many callbacks <laughs> to it um, right. from everybody gathering to the the way that the Night King arranged the the limbs at the end. Um, there were reunions that were spectacular. Uh, the Ari, every Ari reunion was just spectacular. Sans and Tyrion was great. So many great lines. Um, and, and the John Arya stuff was great. What, uh, you get, you also in this get, what's amazing is there's all these things to talk about with this. And you also get a song of fire and ice. It is now revealed who John is. Um, right. that has been done. Um, I did not like the way that it was done. But but it, it happened. And so that's out there as well. So as someone who has waited years for that, um, what did you think about the way that they did it? And what did you what are your broad feelings on on episode one of season eight? I think it was kind of done for convenience. I, I'm actually really interested in the point you just brought up, which is that it was kind of a mirror of the of the pilot, because you're right, it was and that that actually, I think, asked a lot of interesting questions about what the show is going to be doing in the next few episodes. But I, you know, I agree with you. I think it was kind of underwhelming the way it was done. And he kind of just accepts it. And he's like, all right, you know, and then moves on. Yeah, I, weird. Here, here's what I would say. So I read a review, I think it was on Vox, that was it reflected my thoughts on the premiere pretty well, which is that it was it was really cool. You've got all these really great character moments and things like that. But the loser of the of the episode was narrative urgency, which is the idea that we've got yep. some stuff we got to take care of. <laughs> it needs to be taken care of now. We do not have time to rehash a lot of these, you know, interpersonal moments that we've been building up to for a while. Like we, some of them got to fall by the wayside a little bit. And Brand literally what, says it. He says well, that yeah, right. In the very first, really major talking scene. He says we don't have time for this. Right. And I and felt he's right. like it was and almost like them right. telling the, the, the people on the show telling us we don't. And I, I, I think like last year there were time leaps that didn't make any damn sense. And, yeah. and now it feels like they're trying to jam a lot, a lot into six yep. episodes and it's yes. spectacular. But the, what I love most about this show is really season one, the intricacy of the conversations, that stuff is, there's not time for it. Right. Exactly. And so here's, here's what I would do. Okay. And I thought about this after the, after the premiere and I was like, okay, there's a lot of stuff that I liked about it. What I would change if I were going to make one change to the premiere episode would be, I would I would take one scene and move it to the beginning of the episode. And that scene is where Danny tells Sam that he, that she killed his father and his brother. I would put that first because to me, the central like conflict, the central uh, issue that needs to come out right now is, is Danny stable? Can she actually rule? And what is going to be the situation around that? All the other stuff we're going to, you know, and Arya is going to see the Hound and all that's great character stuff. But for me, that tension between John and Danny and how that's going to resolve itself after the Night King's defeated and all this other stuff, that to me is what's really more interesting. I would have had that yeah. hang over the episode that tension because that to me is way more interesting than some of like, you know, is Arya going to get with Gendry? I don't care. <laughs> that's something yeah, I, I care care. about. It, none so of it matters. I, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like I am way more interested in, in what develops from Danny trying to be a ruler and how the people of the North, like they talk about the people of the North, not trusting, you know, people in general and, and being really stubborn. That's important stuff. That's important stuff for being a ruler. That's important stuff with trying to figure mm -hmm. out how John and Danny are going to shape power. I'm more interested in that than a lot of the stuff that they spend a lot of more time on. Yeah. Okay. A couple of things that I had. Uh, number one, uh, hello, John wrote a dragon. Like yeah. at that, point, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was fun. That's but a big, like, but it's a big deal because yeah. only Targaryens can ride him. Sure. So, yeah. So right. that at that point, and I think the only person that really noticed it seemed to be Tyrion. Like, I don't know yeah. if anybody else noticed it or picked up on it, but like only Targaryens can ride him. Right. So like, did Danny know 
that he was a Targaryen? I don't I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't so. think so think... either, but I mean he's touched its nose before. And the right. fact like does she have the institutional knowledge of only we're the only ones who can ride these things? I don't know if she knows that or not. I, I don't know I don't if she has she that information. Uh she might not. That's the way it seemed to me. But everybody else should sure as shit shit know. Like everybody yeah. else knows the mythology. <laughs> and when he's when he's riding over Winterfell on the back of a dragon, I would think somebody would go, wait a second. Who's his dad? Whose yeah. kid is he? I mean, I think that there would be some of that realization because it's talked about so often. So so that I thought was a little bit interesting. Um, and you can respond to all of these. Um, I thought it was I thought they really glossed over about the fact that Bron after Bran says, We don't have time for this, the wall has fallen, the ice <laughs> king has the Night's King has a freaking frozen dragon. And it was like, oh, okay, he's got a dragon. Like to me, that would have been, wait a second. That what? sucks. <laughs> I think that should have been like, wait, what are you talking about? He's got a dragon. Like they all just yeah. accepted it without any like any big, big reaction to it. I thought this is batshit crazy. Like the guy's got a dragon. That's a big deal. That's a big, big problem for everybody. Um yeah. so so those two things, those two things jumped out. And then the last thing, and I, I want you to respond to all of these, is I do not buy that Cersei would would have gotten it on with Euron Greyjoy. Zero chance. I don't okay. So I want to talk about the Greyjoys real quick. First of all, the fact that Theon literally can just show up <laughs> and rescue his sister in the span mm -hmm. of like 20 seconds and it not be a problem at all and then just leave. Like what was the I don't understand. Like it was, what was the this really badass. You had this right. really badass thing with uh, Euron like capturing her last season, and now we get like Theon just shows up and gets her back within a few seconds. Like I just thought that was completely underbaked. Like I don't don't even bother with it in the first place. I agree with you that I don't think Cersei would just go ahead and say, "All right, well let's 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 nick out a little bit with this swarthy guy." Like she, it doesn't. She just said. If you want a whore, buy one. If you want a yeah. queen, earn one. And then 30 seconds later, she says, yeah, you can come. Let's go. Get what you <laughs> like, wanted. She's like, Wait, he's like, what? I did earn it. And he's like, ah, I guess you're right. Damn. <laughs> and then yeah, they have like, sex. They, a they lot of the deal. Just, I'm going. It's just Wait, really underbaked. What? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the, the idea that, you know, Bran is just kind of sitting there in the, uh, the yard and looking at people like ominously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah somebody just needs to wheel him to his room so he can stop staring down people and freaking people out because like literally every yeah. person that he looked at seemed to have this kind of like douche chill moment where they were like okay let's let's not look at him anymore um yeah i you know there's just like i said there's a lot of elements going on that were kind of glossed over the fact that the night king has a dragon seems like something they should be really more concerned about and he's he's marching south you know the stuff at uh the first hearth right where they they see the creepy stuff is cool but like i don't know like why are, are they just trying to to get the hell out of castle black like why are they how what relevance does that have we know that we know the night king is on the march like that's something we don't really need to have enforced to us so i don't understand why you've got this this limb decoration with a, a creepy well, kid nailed in the middle i don't know what purpose that back it's the same pattern he used in season one, right? In episode sure, one. Sure, but what is it? I mean, we know he's Martin. Well, he isn't some like unknown it, ominous threat anymore. Like we know what he's doing. Didn't it, not, but didn't it look like? Anymore. Didn't it look like the Targaryen kind of sigil? It did, which was weird. And I thought about which that. Made and me I didn't think know that maybe, if it was like that was on purpose or. But yeah, yeah. It, did, it did look a lot like that. Yeah, so I don't know Especially if there's something that ties into that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't know if there's something that exactly when it lit on fire. I thought. Well, well, it's just like Danny's thing that she's got on it, you know, her sigil she's got everywhere. So I thought, you know, there was something, I don't know, maybe there was something to that. I have always felt battle versus Night King, battle versus Cersei. Yeah. After last night, because everything they do is on purpose. After last night, I've I I have a new way that I think this thing goes. All right. Um, I think it goes uh a defeat by the Night King over the living at Winterfell and an escape of some key characters and army people and escape to potentially to uh, where the Greyjoys chill. And um, then Pike. Yeah. Pike and then a re-engagement as the Night King marches on Cersei of those people coming from the backside. So basically they have the Night King surrounded Cersei and the golden company. And then the good guys almost fighting like a three-way battle. Um, 
I'm, I kind of wonder if that's the way that it'll go because oh I, I was thinking God. of myself like after you defeat if if the way that I was originally thinking of it and I just thought the foreshadowing of that's twice now somebody has said I'm going to go back to Pike because you know this right. is someplace walkers can't go <laughs> yeah, that's twice right. they said it um, so it seems like that that's significant um, and I just wonder if same thing with like making this whole deal about the- Theon going back to the to go fight again like who needs him at this point right. <laughs> yeah. But like, unless he's to say, "Hey, come to the come to Pike. You you're safe there. They they can't go in the water or whatever." Um, I wonder if there's some if if that's the way that it's going to go. And I also thought, if once you defeat the Night King, like, would you even give a damn about Cersei? You'd be like, oh, probably not. Who cares? Like, come on, we just defeated the army of the dead. Like, come on, what do we care about her? So it's almost like they have to save her from herself. I. That is, man, I, I think that's really interesting. I think that's a really, really interesting theory. It would be, it would be weird because of just the logistic logistics involved geographically. I mean, it's, I mean, winter, Winterfell is way the hell away from King's Landing. I mean, it, it is right. really far away, but the, the show itself has not really concerned itself too much with geography recently. That would, no. so what would be interesting about that to me would be because that would give a lot of opportunities for uh, some of the lore stuff that are in the books to kind of come to fruition because sure. so essentially game bowl. Getting, yeah, this is getting a little deep in the books, but uh, to cross from, I mean, you kind of already know about it with, with uh, the phrase and everything, but to cross from the North to the South, you essentially have to go through the neck and the neck is the swampy, you know, really kind of like unknown place the the reeds howland reed you know who was ned stark's buddy who mm-hmm. helped him kill the guys at the uh you know where where uh john was born um howland reed is is from the neck and so there's a lot you know you've got mira and all those other people who are down from there and, and they have a lot of they're supposedly have a lot of knowledge about the children that you know the children of the forest and all that other stuff so if you're trying to connect some of the really deep lore stuff with the uh uh, the Night King and then the White Walkers, that would be the place to find out that information is in the neck because there is a lot of people there who know a lot of stuff that the books have not explored yet. And if you want to add some backstory to the the White Walkers, I think that would be a really interesting opportunity as they were marching south towards King's Landing. I think that would be cool. And you're right. When they foreshadow something like that, especially you know, like, hey, let's go to Pike, let's go to Pike. Yeah, that that is a pretty good indication that something's going to come of that. So that would be really, I think that's dead on, honestly. I think that would be a really big contender for something that might happen. Yeah, I just feel like it, I don't know, just was thinking of it. I just know how that show, know how the show operates after watching sure. it. Well, that's how George R. R. Martin operates. He, he, he goes by this rules of three where he, he will mention something basically once, twice, and then the third time it actually happens. And that happens all the time in the book, over and over and over again. Yeah, so... um you know, I think that makes a lot of sense. And it, I, I also think it makes sense for, you know, the Night King to get a win at, yeah. at Winterfell, you know, kind of a, a really beleaguered win for both, but he wins. Um, and then, you know, the other thing I was wondering about is like when they, sh- the opening sequence for the first time went into Winterfell, went into the crypts, went into King's Landing and went into like the, the throne room and all that. And when it went, when it showed down in the crypts, I wondered if like the Night King was going to turn all those people alive. Like if all of a sudden we had yeah. Stark. That would have been pretty kick ass. Like if he um, goes down that way and all of a sudden Sean Bean's back. Like if I don't know why they showed the Crips. I mean, that was a huge scene there that happened, but I kind of made me worry, wonder about that as well. Well, Ned's Ned is supposed to be basically just bones at this point, because they they basically like because part of the the funeral ceremonies in Westeros is like you, you know, when you put somebody in a crypt, you're supposed to be just like their bones and stuff. But um yeah, I don't know. I here's here's the thing that I keep coming back to is I can't remember if it was in the second season or the third season, but when Danny goes to like those, you know, those seers, you know, the, the magicians essentially, I can't remember their names. on House of the Undying. It's the yeah. end of season and, two. And in one of the, one of the visions that she has in both in the books and in the show is of the throne room with the iron throne. And it's like the top is blasted off of the throne room and it's, it yeah. looks like it's snowing. Right. <laughs> I don't, and and some people say they don't know whether that's snow or ash, right? They like, can't really tell. Yeah, it could the be either. Um, sure. But I think that image is going to be revisited at some point in the season. So to your point, yes, if, if I agree. things are going to go 
crazy in King's Landing, I think you're going to see almost that exact same image for some reason again. And it could be because their dragons just blow the hell out of it. It could be because, you know, winter is there and it's, you know, things are just going all to, to hell. But um, yeah, the yeah, Night Kings I, I, made I think it. I think your theory is as good as any. And I, I'm down for that. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. I mean, who the hell knows? I mean, it, it changes and, and they've got so much to get to. The last great, the last thing we'll talk about was the, like the look of Jamie Lannister when he sees Bronn. He's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, how are you alive? Didn't I kill Which you? Another great, you know, again, to your point, a, a really great mirror of the opening episode, yeah. right? The premiere Absolutely. episode where it's like, oh yeah, that's, I did that. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. There's so many so. touchstones back to season one, episode one, the pilot. Yep. I mean, it was almost like a redo. So it set yeah. the table. Uh, now we know, I think one thing that'll be, frustrating for those of us and frustrating for john frankly is almost like hey sam i don't really give a damn who i yeah. am at this point <laughs> like he wasn't even worried about being you know sixth of your name heir to the iron throne king of the andals all that crap john was basically going like wait a second my dad lied to me because right. his, his whole thing has been built on ned he's ned stark's son like he's honest to a fault even when it hurts him and so it's yeah. like now all of a sudden, well, wait a second. My whole life's built on a lie. It's almost like that. He cared far more about that than he, which was perfect for the character. He cared far more about that than he give a damn about being some king. He doesn't want to be. He has no interest in it. Well, it's, and being not, a bastard is such a huge part of his identity, right? You know, where he's the outsider yeah. and he, he can kind of, he, I mean, he's lived his entire life, you know, perceiving himself as this guy who is unwanted and, and not really, you know, needed. And I think that's been such a huge part of his identity and allowed him to do what he's been able to do because he hasn't had that kind of responsibility. I don't think he wants it. I don't think he wants to be, no. you know, this, this leader. Like, it didn't take him much to give up being king of the north. Like that wasn't something no. John really seemed to desire that much. You no. know, like, he kind of groused about it a little bit. He's like, "Oh man, they're gonna really pissed at me." But it wasn't something where he was like, "Oh well, you know, I, I, this is my rightful throne." He didn't give a crap about that. So no. it'll be interesting no. to see what his reaction is to that, and when he tells Danny, and and if he tells Danny about it. I mean, I think it would just wait. Wouldn't that just wait? Yeah, I just keep no on reason to get into I it now. I wouldn't say anything. Yeah, they got it. They got bigger fish to fry. I mean, they can worry right. about that once they defeat the Night King. Like, you can't worry about yeah. that now. We'll deal with that yeah. later. Um, it was great though. Great table setter. I wish. I wish it was a ten episode season as opposed yeah. to the three long episodes at the back or four or whatever they are. Um, it's going to be still ten hours, but I. I think I would like a little more pacing. I, it's funny. A lot of people said you know that they wanted more of the battle. I don't particularly care much about the battles. Like, you know, they're cool to see. But like I haven't, it's not like I want to go rewatch the Battle of the Bastards for the you know the the grand size of it. You know, oh, I'm sure. far more I'm far more interested in the dialogue, yeah, than I am that. So I didn't miss not having battles, and I hope that the last you know four episodes aren't just loaded with battles. I I, I hope that's not it. I agree. The I tension, like I said, my favorite scene was was Danny telling Sam about what she did to his family. And yeah. to me, that that tension and that drama is is way more interesting. And that's that's what really what makes Game of Thrones Game of Thrones. Really, I mean, you can HBO has had other you know swashbuckling giant you know battle shows where people are getting their heads cut off and stuff like that. You know, they did that with like Rome or whatever the hell it was. Yeah. Um, but what makes Game of Thrones unique is the, the attention paid to the the characters and the situations. And yeah. again, that was my favorite scene in part because of of how dramatic it was and, and the groundwork they had laid to set it up. And yeah, I want more yeah, of that. I, I want to see more yep. of that kind of narrative. Like it's again, that, that narrative urgency that kind of forces these characters to make decisions. Those are the things that are interesting to me. And you're going to see a lot of that. There's going to be a lot of that coming up. A lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I can't wait. It's going to be stunning. Five episodes to go. We'll have another recap uh, next week on the show. Until then, my friend, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Yep. Talk to you next week.